Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. Steve Heron was the founding president of Hope Sound Bible College in South Florida. He was a wonderful man of God and an excellent expositor of the Word. This sermon was preached at Seabreeze Camp Meeting in Hope Sound, Florida back in 1985, just prior to his passing, and it's titled, The Potential for Sin. This is a classic message, and I know you're going to enjoy it. received the salt, went immediately out, and it was night. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the privilege of breaking the bread of life, but we recognize tonight our utter, absolute dependence upon Thee. We have always been dependent on Thee, but it's even more so in this hour. We thank Thee for Thy unfailing presence. We thank thee for the precious cleansing blood. We ask that thou would take thy truth and seal it to our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We shall give thee the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse 27. Jesus said to Judas, that thou doest, do quickly. And the last words we read, he went immediately out and it was night. Judas Iscariot is one of the most tragic, forlorn creatures in all of time and history. He was blessed of God with many blessings. But our last glimpse of Judas Iscariot is a broken, suicidal corpse lying with a self-imposed noose around his neck, his body broken. But that grim, gaunt, ghastly figure situated against the skyline of time and history speaks to us a very powerful message, a message concerning the dreadful, fearsome, awful potential of sin in a human life. Judas Iscariot can teach us some things tonight if we will look at his example. Not to follow it, but to shun it. But I know no portrait within the book that gives us a clearer picture of the 
dreadful, awesome, fearsome potential of sin in a human life. One of the first things it teaches us is that no one, irrespective of place, person, possession, privilege, position, no one is exempt from this danger. No one walks in mortal peril of reaping in his life the fearsome wreckage of sin and iniquity. Do not think, friend, that you are immune, that I am immune from this danger. But God has given us this tragic example that we may take warning, that we may shun this way and be on our guard. For let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. After all, who is this mutilated corpse, this suicidal corpse? Who is this? This is not some highwayman. This is not some robber. This is not some outranked sinner. This is Judas Iscariot. And who was Judas Iscariot? Judas Iscariot was one of the sacred circle of the 12 apostles. Judas Iscariot was the treasurer of that group. And friend, I would warn you and warn myself, if sin has such potential that it can reach within the sacred circle of the 12 and snatch one of them down to perdition forever, then I better be aware. I better take it seriously. Regardless of your position, regardless of your place, regardless of how much confidence people have in you or in me, I warn us tonight, none of us are immune. None of us are beyond the possibility of following in the footsteps and reaping the harvest this man Judas did. So Judas speaks to us across these silent centuries and reminds us that no one is immune. I have seen him reach into the home of preachers and take a boy or girl and wreck and blight and ruin their lives. I have seen him reach into the homeless churches and destroy and wreck and ruin. I would tell us again, if ever a man was favored, it was Judas. But if ever a man was a sad, sad commentary on the power of sin in human life, it is Judas. For Judas, you remember, had been blessed above measure. I do not know what Judas' occupation was. I do not know what he did for a living. I do not know where he labored. But one day at work or at home or in some way, Jesus Christ came across the pathway of Judas Iscariot. And he uttered those most gracious words that God could have said to him. Follow me. Something about the tone of the voice. Something about the strength of the countenance of the face. Something about the solidity of the character. Challenged Judas Iscariot. And he got up from what he was doing and followed Jesus. He evidently was a good follower. He evidently had more than usual ability. For the little group selected him as their treasurer to carry their meager little purse, but thus signifying their confidence. But I say I would remind us again that sin reached within that sacred circle of the twelve 
and snatched Judas Iscariot to perdition from the side of the Savior to eternal darkness is a long step to take. But Judas Iscariot made it. And reminding you and reminding me that we are not immune. We are not impervious to this possibility in our life. Let us look further at this example. And not only does he teach us that they're not immune or exempt from this danger and this possibility, but he warns us of the unpredictable danger and this disintegration and destructiveness of sin, our human weakness that's left undealt with by the grace of God. That is to say that Judas warns us that one sin or one human weakness left undealt with by the grace of God has unimagined potential. Sin, whether small or great, white or black, as we like to classify it sometimes. Remember this, friend, that one sin has in it the potentials of all sin. Peter found it out. Jesus tried to get to Peter with the truth that he had a weakness. He had a cowardly spirit that would flee and forsake his Lord and deny his Lord and swear that he never knew him. But he couldn't get this across to Peter. Peter wouldn't believe it. Peter wouldn't acknowledge it. And so Peter had to experience the bitter experience of falling flat on his face, denying his Lord, swearing that he never knew him, go through the awful agony of denying his Lord. Wouldn't it have been so much better that day when Jesus tried to get to Peter and said, Peter, before the cock crows, you'll deny me thrice. Peter vehemently declared, I will not deny. I will die with you, but I will not deny you. Did he? Certainly he did. Jesus knew he had it in him. John tells us in another passage that Jesus knew what was in man. He knew what was in Peter. He knew where he had his weakness. He knew where he was going to fail. And Judas Iscariot is a like example. I do not know when this feeling of covetousness, the spirit of covetousness, first entered and rose up in the heart of Judas Iscariot. I'm sure the master noticed it. I'm sure he noticed it that he was handling the bag a little too lovingly. There was an unholy glint in Judas's eye as he looked over the little meager treasure. Covetousness. But you couldn't tell Judas that. And after all, what's so bad about covetousness? It's the white sin. It's the acceptable sin. When have you ever heard a preacher preach a sermon against covetousness? But Jesus knew that that spirit of covetousness in Judas would lead him to sell his Lord, to betray his Lord in the hands of his enemies. 
And so he didn't Judas hear Jesus when he said the farms of a certain man brought forth plentifully? So he had no place to store his grain. He said, I tell you what I'll do. I'll build me bigger barns. Tear down these old ones. Big, build me bigger barns where I can store my goods and say to my soul, soul, you've laid up much goods for a long season. Now take your ease and have it a good time. But God said, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. And Jesus said, so is every man that is not rich toward God. Didn't Judas hear that? I wonder if Jesus might have been directing some of those to Judas. Or again, the account of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man died and was buried. Lazarus died and was carried with angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man being in torment, saw Lazarus in Abraham's bosom far off and said, Father Abraham, send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in these flames. But the master replied back, and Abraham replied back, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime hadst thou good things, likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and thou art tormented. The rich man said, send them to my father's house for I have five brethren lest they come here. But Jesus said, if they'll not hear Moses and the prophets, they'll not believe though one rose from the dead. Didn't Judas hear that? Didn't they seek to? Evidently not. It failed to get through to him. He failed to open his heart to truth. And that little apparently innocent covetousness that began as a seed of covetousness in his heart, led to the dastardly deed of betraying his Lord, selling his Lord for 30 pieces of silver. See, after all, it's a far cry from a little covetousness in stirring in a man's heart and a suicidal corpse and a soul in the night forever. But remember, that little seed of covetousness had in it the potentials of the betrayal and the suicide and the lot in perdition. And Judas reminds us of the danger of having undealt with human weakness or a secret sin. For my friend, I, I warn you, It'll lead you where you never dreamed you'd go. You'll do what you never dreamed you'd do. Tell you what Jesus said do about these things. He said, if your hand offends you, cut it off. If your foot offends you, cut it off. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. Deal drastically, deal radically with it. Don't gloss over a weakness sin don't call it something else but let God call it what he knows it is and let God deal with you radically let God deal with you to the roots of things let God dig around you and uncover it some years ago I was pastoring a church and I challenged them and in a sense challenged God to shake everything that was shakable he began shaking. And I 
would be surprising he'd shake around a lot of us if we would. But better find out our condition now and better deal with these things now before they lead us to depths we never dreamed we'd go. Young people, don't go home with unmet needs in your heart and life. Well, you may, nobody else may not know. You may not even be fully aware of it and admit it yourself. But I tell you, there is a person who knows it. There is one who's well aware of that hidden weakness and that secret sin. And that one is Satan. He will bank the fires of that in your life until an opportune time comes when he will fan it to a flame and burn up a lifetime of Christian living and Christian influence and Christian reputation. The weakness. Brother French tells about a man he's holding a meeting for of in Indiana many years ago. They going out one day and the neighbor's little dog ran over in the preacher's yard and nipped him, nipping at them, barking at them. And the preacher kicked the little dog and the neighbor didn't like it. And he said sharp cutting things at the preacher. And the preacher said sharp cutting things back. Is it too much of a surprise to learn that that man lost his license for immorality? You say, what, what's wrong with kicking a dog? That's not the point. The point is answering back in the same tone and way that the, the, the neighbor came at him. But that was an indication of a weakness. And if it had not already been actually brought to fruition in his life, it was certainly an indication that he had something that needed to be dealt with of the Lord. Let's not pass over these things lightly. Let's not gloss over them. But ask God to search us to the depths. Deal with us in the depths, Lord. Deal with us in the depths. Get down to the bottom of things. Search us out to the last core of our being. After all, God loves us too much to condemn us for anything we're not guilty of. He loves us too much to let us get by with anything that would wreck us. So bear your heart to God. Get honest, brutally honest with him. For Judas reminds us that a seemingly, apparently small sin, a hidden sin, a secret sin that nobody, probably Judas himself was not fully aware of. But you see, what we label a thing doesn't determine what it is. We can call a rose of a tulip, but it doesn't change the nature of the flowers. And we can call a thing nothing and brush it off. But that doesn't stop the insidious work of that sin in our life. Our only hope is to bear ourselves to God with open honesty. I'm sure you've had the experience you detected there was something missing. There's something lacking in somebody. I'm not talking about going around snooping and being fault finders and that sort of thing. But you're just conscious. Most of us make poor hypocrites. And it kind of shows up on us when we have lost God or when we're having a controversy with God. Not fully out in the full obedience to God and they're clear with him. 
But I would warn you tonight from this tragic example that that hidden weakness, that secret leaning, that something that troubles your soul may mean your utter destruction. You'll do things you never thought you'd do. I think of that sad example of King Saul of Israel, the first king of Israel. Saul was a goodly man, head and shoulders above the crowd, started out well under God. But there was one thing that was weak in Saul's character. He was headstrong. He was hasty in spirit. And one of the first things he did after becoming king went out to fight the Philistines. And Samuel was to meet him on a certain day, and he failed to show up on time. And Saul took it offered a sacrifice on his own. Now Saul was king, but he was not priest. And he usurped another office when he took over the priesthood. And about the time he got through with his sacrifices, Samuel came on the scene. And he said, Saul, what have you done? He said, the people were getting restless and leaving me, so I forced myself and offered a sacrifice. I took the bit in my teeth. I took the thing in my own hand, and I did a good thing hastily, self-willed. God had said, don't worry about a priest to offer a sacrifice. But Saul said, I'm king, and there's got to be something done about this. So he offered on his own. But that indicated a weakness in King Saul, and he never faced up to that weakness. It led to open rebellion when he spared Agag and the best Amalekites. But it led to the final utter ruin of Saul. Saul was noted as a witch hunter. One outstanding attribute of his kingship was his hatred of and persecution and annihilation of all witches. To Saul, witchcraft was the ultimate sin. But when Samuel met him after he spared Agag and the best of the Amalekites, Saul said to him, his sacrifice and burnt offering, anything to be compared with obedience. For he said, stubbornness and iniquities is idolatry and as witchcraft. I know that stung Saul. Saul, this disobedience of yours, though under a pious cloak of pretense of religion, this disobedience of yours is as wicked as any witch that ever lived. And you know how Saul ended his last night on earth? At a witch's house. Now it seems a far cry from that day when Saul took things in his own hands and offered up a sacrifice. But that was the beginning of the end, at the very beginning of his reign. And it ended, he ended up doing the thing he despised the most. And I want to warn somebody here tonight, if you go away from this school this year with unmet needs in your heart, with unsolved issues in your life, you will go out to this summer or the days ahead and you'll do things you never dreamed you'd do. You'll go places you never dreamed you'd go.
You'll say things you never dreamed you'd say because as sure as you live, this thing is going to keep growing and keep eating away the vitals of your spiritual life. And it's going to wreck ruin in your, in your life. Don't take it lightly. Don't push it aside. But listen to the Holy Spirit as he speaks tonight. As he deals with us. And remember the tragic example from Judas Iscariot. The fearful danger of leaving one sin or one human weakness undealt with by the grace of God. Wouldn't it have been so much different if Saul and Peter, these others, when they first realized, even Judas Iscariot, when he realized what was happening in his heart, they had fallen at the feet of the Savior and said, Lord, I'm all you see I am. Deal with me to the bottom of my heart. Deal with me to the depths of my soul. And don't let me get by with anything that will blight and wreck my life. You can take things in your own hand. You can make your own decisions. I'll go here. I'll go there. I'll drop out of school. I'll go to this school. I'll do that or the other. But unless you're doing it in the will of God, you're running the risk of blighting and wrecking your life. I know you say we won't do it. That's what Peter said. I remember a man in my church years ago backslid. I can see where we were standing now in the town square. I was talking to him. He said, now, Brother Aaron, I'm not going to go back to smoking and those kind of things. I think he was honest. I think he was sincere. But I wish smoking was the only thing he'd gone back on. Blighted lives, blighted homes. I urge you tonight, let God deal with you to the bottom. Don't let these human weaknesses or this trait of sin go on undealt with. But bring it out honestly before the Lord. A third thing that Judas Iscariot reminds us is the dark deceptiveness of sin. The dark deceptiveness of sin. It manifests itself in the character and the conduct of Judas Iscariot. First of all, sin deceives its victims. And its, its victims are deceptive in their character. Judas was deceptive. Judas came into that last supper. And the Savior said, I, being troubled in spirit, said, one of you shall betray me. And every one of those disciples began to look at one another and said, who is it? Who is it? Is it I? And it went the rounds of the room, evidently. But finally it came back to Jesus. And each one of them said, it isn't me, is it, Lord? It couldn't be me. And when it came to Judas, I can imagine his heart had leaped in his mouth. When he said, oh, he knows it, he knows it, he knows it. Judas, fall off that couch. Fall on your face. Plead for mercy from the Savior. He knows your deceitfulness. He knows your betrayal. But he didn't. He steeled his will. He set his jaw. With a pious look, he turned to the, to the Savior and said, is it I? Couldn't be me, could it? That's one of the most brazen, 
bold attempts of deception that is anywhere recorded in the Bible are hardly out of it. When a man could look the Savior, look the Son of God in the face, face to face, and pretend it wasn't he. I've ceased to be surprised or amazed at what some people can profess religion over. For knowing the deceptiveness of the human heart and the deceptiveness of sin, I tell you, friend, there's no, no potential too great for people to practice deception. Fell up in North Carolina, died, and they had his funeral, and lo and behold, he had two families. One down in Georgia and one up in North Carolina. And he attended a holiness church. He didn't profess religion. Didn't go that far with it. But can you man, imagine a man living a double life like that? Deceptive. But no, we'd have ceased to be shocked. For such is the deceptiveness of the human heart. That Judas Iscariot could look the Savior square in the eye and say, it isn't me, is it? Sin not only is deceptive, it deceives its victim as well. Judas not only tried to deceive the Savior, Judas was deceived by sin. You remember the day after, the night of the betrayal, and the day after when they condemned Jesus to die, Judas Iscariot came to the high priest in a different frame than he'd gone to them before. He had gone to them before. I can imagine the scene as Judas approached the castle of the high priest, the palace of the high priest, and knocked at the door, and a servant came to give him entrance, and went to announce his coming, and said to Annas and Capus, there's a man out here by the name of Judas. He's been a disciple of this Jesus that you've been trying to catch, catch something on. He looks like he's ready to do business. I listened to him if I were you, and I can see them bowing and scraping and saying, come in, Mr. Judas, come in, Mr. Judas. Yes, we would like to talk with you. And Mr. Judas, this would be a patriotic deed if you'll help us to apprehend this man. For he keeps on stirring up things around here. The Romans are going to come and overthrow our city and destroy our nation. So Judas bargains with them for 30 pieces of silver and goes his way to find an opportune time. And finally he did it. But the next day, it's different. He comes in, he, now he doesn't stop hardly for this, acknowledge the servant at the door. His hair is disheveled, his robe is in disarray. There's a wild look in his eye. And he stalks into the presence of the, of the high priest and flings the money down at their feet and said, I sinned in that I betrayed innocent blood. Those high priests seem to draw their silken robes about them more closely lest they become contaminated by touching him. And say with the curl of the lip, the sneer of the voice, seethe out of that. You can handle it yourself. Yes, yesterday it was 30 pieces of silver, but today it's blood. Last night it was 30 pieces of silver, today it's sin. And I'm talking to you. Young people and others tonight, 
You maybe can remember in your life when there were some times when you went along. It looked different the night before. It took on a different hue and tone the next morning. Last night it was having a good time. Last night it was everybody else's doing it. Last night, come on, don't be an old fogey. Drink, drugs, sex, what have you. Let's live it up. Let's have a big time. But tomorrow morning when you wake up with that sense of guilt, that sense of shame, that sense of loss, that sense of sin. Last night it was a big time. Today it's sin. Yesterday it was 30 pieces of silver. Today it's innocent blood. Sin had deceived Judas Iscariot. And sin will deceive you. And sin laughed and mocked Judas to his face. Ha ha. See to it yourself. Yes, they were there to help him get into it, but they weren't there to help him get out of it. And I would like to say to young people, especially here tonight, there'll be plenty of people to help you sin, but they won't be there when you sit in the dark and the night and weep your heart out over lost virtue and manhood and womanhood. When you see the awful guilt of your sin, they won't be there then. Sin will laugh at your face. Sin will mock you to your face. Sin will taunt you to your face. See thou to that. Get yourself out of it the best way you can. Sin deceived. Judas is scared. The final thing we note tonight that this tragic character of Judas Iscariot teaches us, it teaches us that sin has the power to carry a soul beyond the last tender pleadings of divine love. I believe if ever a man was blessed and ever a man was loved, it was Judas Iscariot. Not only did Jesus, remember he had walked with Christ, lived with Christ, perhaps slept with him out on the open heavens, share their meager meals together, listened to his teaching, saw him heal the sick and raise the dead, heard the words that fell from his lips as no man had ever spoken before. All of that Judas could trample underfoot and go on his headstrong way. And finally, he comes to the last effort of divine love to stop him. Back to the scene of the upper room. When they get, went in that night, somebody said, Judas, here's your place over here. And it was a place of honor, a place close to the Savior. If Judas had a conscience left, I think it must have smote him. As he said to himself, Oh, Look what a place he's given me, a special token of concern and honor. And I'm going to betray him. But he stifled what conscience was left. He blandly took his seat close to the Savior. Then Jesus tries to shock him. He said, one of you shall betray me. And I can imagine that did shake Judas. He knows it. He knows it. He knows it. He knows it. Oh, Judas, fall off that couch. Bathe his feet in your tears. Weep your heart out. Confess your dastardly cowardice and hypocrisy and that you've betrayed him. You've got the money in your pocket. 
and sell your Lord for 30 pieces of silver. But there's still hope. Fall on your face and repent. But Judas is scared, sets his jaw and steals his will and looks the Savior in the face and said, Is it I? And then Jesus said, It is he to whom I shall give the sop when I've dipped it. And when he had dipped it, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the last token of God's love, the glass tender pleading of the divine spirit to Judas' soul. Oh, Judas, it, it's the last hour. It's the last fleeting moments, but it isn't too late. Fall off that couch and repent. Bow your feet, face at the feet of the Savior. Bury your face in his lap and Confess out the dastardly deed that you're doing. He'll forgive you. But Judas Iscariot won't do it. He takes that sop as though it were do it. And then Jesus said to Judas Iscariot, the saddest thing he could have said to him, the saddest thing he could say to Judas Iscariot was this, go ahead and do what you're going to do. That's what he said. That thou doest do, What's he saying? I've made my last plea. I've thrown up my last barricade. Judas, when you go past this, there isn't anything left. We're done. We're through. And Judas Iscariot took that sock and went out. And it was night. But I think it was more than physical night. Spiritual night. The sun went down in the life of Judas Iscariot never to come up again. The light went out to never be lit again until this good hour. Judas Iscariot walks in the darkness of eternal perdition. Judas Iscariot is in the night. Why? Because sin carried him beyond the last tender pleading of divine love. Jesus threw up barricade after barricade. Jesus made plea after plea, directly and indirectly with Judas Iscariot. But Judas went past the last one. He went beyond the last tender pleadings of divine love. And finally, God gave him up. The mighty love of Jesus said, I can go no further, and I've gone. I've done my best. I've done my all. And Judas went out, and it was night. And it's possible in our lives, young or old, to go past the last tender pleading of divine love, to run the last barricade God puts in our path, and end it in the darkness of eternal night. Could I urge you this evening, listen to the truth of God's word. You don't have to be 40 years old to do this. You can do it as a young person. I was holding a meeting, camp meeting in Georgia a number of years ago. Brother G.I. Norman and I were preaching. On Friday night, last Friday night in the camp, I preached a warning message, something like this. Standing back in the audience was a man and his wife, older maybe people, when I made the altar call, this man came to the front, to the platform, said, can I say a word? I'm always pretty leery about those kind of things. I said, well, if God is in it, you can. He stepped forward and said, 15 years ago, 
to nine, according to the Knights of the Camp. Brother Wireman gave his life story, and God moved on the people. And among those he moved upon was a 13-year-old girl, this man's daughter. And she said, the saints dealt with her, God dealt with her, but she would not yield. The next night, Saturday night, they let her go to some social function. Why, I do not know, instead of going to the camp meeting. But nobody knows exactly what happened. Perhaps their companion, a young man driving, hurrying along country roads to get back at the curfew hour set by the parents. But something happened. He lost control of the car. And a little 13-year-old girl was hurled into eternity who the night before had heard the last tender pleadings of divine love. Brother Wireman didn't know it. The parents didn't know it. The girl didn't know it. But God knew that that was the last gospel message she would ever hear. God knew that that was the last time he'd ever get a chance to speak to her heart. These things have been perhaps overworked and evangelistic work. But I tell you, friends, when they come home, it's different. When it happens at your house, when it happens to one of your loved ones, it's a different story altogether. They cease to be preacher's illustrations and become living tragedies in our lives and homes. A little 13-year-old girl reared in a Wesleyan home probably attended that camp meeting every year of her life, went to church and Sunday school, had godly parents, had a holiness church, but she sinned, carried her beyond the last tender pleading of divine love, the last pull, the last tug, the last call, But sin carried her too far to come back. Oh, I do not know what's down the road for any of us. But I know this. God has given us in his book a sad, tragic example of a man who warns us that nobody's immune from this awful, dreadful power of sin if they trifle with it. Who warns us the tragic possibilities of letting an unmet need go unmet and undealt with by the grace of God warns us of the dark deceptiveness of sin and warns us that it can tear us beyond God's last plea. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Interchurch Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA. I don't want to